Thank you for listening to the Voices of UMass Chan podcast, featuring the people, ideas, and advances of UMass Chan Medical School. This podcast is produced by the Medical School's Office of Communications. In today's episode of the Voices of UMass Chan, we're sitting down with Marlena Duncan, the Vice Chancellor for Diversity and Inclusion. Hello and welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. Marlena, thanks for making time to talk with us today. And I just wanna get right to it. This is such a compelling moment to be immersed in the work that you and your colleagues are doing in the Diversity and Inclusion Office. I know you all have a full plate um, so today we want to just give you the opportunity to share some information about many of the initiatives that are ongoing or being started in the DIO, and perhaps none is bigger than the medical school's strategic plan. It's called Impact 2025, goes from 2020 to 2025, and there's a new approach to integrating diversity as a strategic priority for the whole institution. So I'm wondering if you could just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, thank you for asking me about that. So I've been at UMass Chan for approximately 14 months. Um, and when I came to the institution, there was so much amazing work going on around DEI. I think, you know, most people are committed to the work. They want to see this done well, but there really wasn't a roadmap for how we could all be doing the work in sync and really be intentional about how we were doing this type of work. Um, so I saw Impact 2025 as a real opportunity to help integrate and, like I said, create this roadmap for us as an institution. Um, the original Impact 2025 had DEI interwoven into all the other areas. And I think that's a great approach. Um, aspirationally, that's where we'd like to be. But I think with anything new, you need some coaching, you need some support, you need some direction. And so this new pillar will allow for that, allow for us really to be intentional at the institutional level. But then we also are asking departments to develop um, action plans. And so that way we can feed up to the larger um, DEI pillar. So when you talk about a roadmap, uh, so first just to clarify a pillar, so making diversity and inclusion a pillar, it's now one of six strategic priorities, which um, really puts it on the map. And, and to keep that analogy going, when you talk about a roadmap, what does that look like? Like, why does it matter that this is now its own pillar and what changes? Yeah, so I think what happens is, like I said, we get to coordinate our work. So what are our priorities? Where are we trying to really have an impact? And so um, I worked with my team as well as some other DEI leaders on campus, and we had some meetings and conversations around what are the priorities? What do we want to do in this time period of, you know, from 2020 to 2025? And some common themes emerge. So first and foremost, we want to make sure the climate and the culture really speak to DEI. What does this look like for inclusion and belonging and equity, right? Diversity is, is one thing to um, broaden participation and the numbers of different types of people that we have at the institution. But what does it look like to really have this sense of inclusion, belonging, and then equity um, for all? So then the other piece was the curriculum. So we're an educational institution. How do we infuse this content into the curriculum in all three schools? So that was another area that emerged and a theme that we thought was important. Um, another one was around you know, really recruitment 
retention and advancement? How do we make sure that everyone um, is clear about those pathways? And how do we make sure that everyone's thinking about really recruiting and supporting individuals from marginalized backgrounds? And then, you know, last but not least, how do we hold ourselves accountable? So what do our accountability measures look like? How do we make sure we're doing the right things? Um, and then how do we share those best practices across the institution? So I imagine that the answer is that your, the work is never done, really. No. So how, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but what I guess, are, what are you most excited or motivated uh, by? The thing that motivates me most with this plan is that, you know, I truly believe together we're all part of this system. People usually like to say, well, it's a system. I can't break through these barriers. I don't know what role I play. And I think this allows for everyone to see themselves in the work and the, you know, the real integral parts that they can play in making the change. And so I think if we collectively see that, um, we real, really, will really feel the impact. Yeah, that's And it great. won't just be on the DIO office or the DEI liaisons or champions on campus, but we all can start to take ownership. And that's really a key, isn't it? That, you know, and part yeah. of it's, I think, because divert inclusion, belonging, equity is so multifaceted, especially even when you just look at the realm of academic medicine, science, nursing, there are so many components to creating an equitable environment or anything like that. And, and so I think that, of course, ups the challenges, but also the opportunities to have an impact. And it's, it's everybody's job. So, okay, that's great. That's a great overview of the strategic um, direction. There's another new resource that your office has advocated for, and that's affinity groups for students and faculty from underrepresented or marginalized groups. So what's the, what's the purpose of those groups? So, you know, again, talking about this, this concept of inclusion and belonging. Um, and if we really do value that, we need to recognize that there are people that are part of our community that don't always feel included. They don't always feel like they can be their authentic selves when they come to the institution. So how do we create spaces for them to really be, like I said, their authentic selves, have a voice, um, and just be in community? That's so important. And, and we know that that's important for us just as human beings. And so how do you come together with folks that share a common identity, common experiences, and just be yourself? Um, and we know that that helps with people feeling connected to the institution. That will help, like I said, to have that collective voice um, for those that are marginalized. And so affinity groups help to facilitate that. And again, affinity groups are not exclusive where you know if you don't share that identity, you can't be part of the group but you know that the purpose of the group is really to amplify the experience of that um, identity group. So, you know, it's, it's really important to have them in spaces. And I think sometimes we confuse, this is exclusive, right? Like this is excluding certain people and, and it's really not, it's really being more inclusive um, and creating that environment of belonging. And making space. So what are the affinity groups at UMass Chan and what do those gatherings look and feel like? Yeah, so we have a couple new ones. Um, one is Alana, so that's for our faculty of color. And that group is primarily right now junior faculty coming together, talking about their experience. Some individuals are the only faculty person of color in their department. 
right? So that can feel very isolating. So they're just looking for others, right? Who else has a similar experience? How do I find mentors? How do I find community? What does the tenure and promotion process look like? Um, because as you can imagine, some of these questions are hard to ask when you are the only one and you feel as though you're representing that group. So that's, that's one of the groups we have is the Alana Faculty of Color Network. Um, we also have a new student group that's meeting. And again, it's really based on the current student groups that um, are developed around identity as well as advocacy groups. And they're meeting with me once a month to kind of bring up their issues in terms of their needs, their concerns, but then what's going well. Like I, like I also want to encourage people to celebrate best practices, how they are feeling included at UMass Chan. Um, and, you know, again, building that sort of community can only help. Great. And then there's a speaker or conversation series called Centering the Margins. And I want to give you a moment to talk about that. Yeah. So Centering the Margins, same sort of concept, but who are the speakers that we're not hearing from? What are the topics that we are not bringing forward? Um, so this year we're focusing on the BIPOC experience. So that stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. And we've had a variety of speakers um, from Harriet Washington, the author of uh, Medical Apartheid, to you know, the local um, Worcester Black History Month project. And so it's just different types of speakers, different topics, but really focusing on that BIPOC experience. And as the title of this speaker series indicates, centering the margins, those that are usually marginalized, how do we amplify their voices? How do we bring attention to their experiences? And anyone from the medical school community can participate and listen to yes. those speakers, right? And how do they find out about them? So up next is our newsletter that comes out weekly. Um, and so we have all of our events listed in there. Centering the margins happens once a month. Um, it's usually the first Wednesday of the month. And um, we also have other events and speakers that, that come in. And the other piece of centering the margins that I don't want to forget to mention is we wanted to make sure that it was bringing awareness, but then we're also taking some action. Um, so we have a speaker talk about a specific topic, but then we discuss, okay, how do we bring action and attention to this at the UMass Chan level, um, whether it be through policy practices or just normalizing having these types of conversations beyond the hour. So that's interesting, the whole concept of normalizing and language is really important, um, making space for these conversations to happen and for these topics to flourish. Um, are there examples that you can give of just the importance of the language that we use, especially maybe people who are from, you know, uh, the, the majority demographic? Yeah, I think, you know, historically and just societal norms, it's, in some ways not polite to talk about race, right? Talk about race, talk about religion, talk about anything that may indicate difference. But again, if we are trying to create a more inclusive space and to really learn about each other's experiences, we have to talk about these things. We have to reveal what may have been uncomfortable. Um, and the more that we can normalize talking about racism, talking about sexism, um, talking about xenophobia, then we can actually do something to stop these types of biases and discrimination. But if we're silent, 
we're also sending a very strong message that this is not a priority. We don't care. We're not open to learn. So I really am an advocate for let's make spaces for us all to learn. Um, we're all starting at different places and that's fine. And as you said earlier, this work is ongoing. This is a journey. So how are we training and practicing together to go on this journey? How do we create foundational knowledge for everyone um, to get to the level we, where we can normalize these conversations and really have um, concrete solutions for solving some of these problems? And for people who do want to learn more and what, what are some resources that you can recommend? Yeah, so we um, are very fortunate to have an amazing staff in BIO. So we have a full-time director of education and integration, and she provides ongoing trainings. So at noon, almost every day, Tiffany Cook provides foundational trainings around DEI topics. So topics like inclusive communication, we're talking about you know, language. What does that look like? What can I say? What can I say? Um, she also talks about microaggressions. What is that? You know, how do you recognize those and recover from them if you're committing them or if you're experiencing them? What are some solutions? Um, she also talks about you know, implicit bias. So there's a training on implicit bias. There's an, a training on inclus the inclusive search process. So there's just a variety of trainings that anyone can attend. And um, we think it's, again, just a, a great way to introduce people to these concepts, provide that foundational knowledge, and then we can build from there. We also have a uh, librarian who creates great lib guides and resources on our website. So if you're the type of person that, I don't wanna go to a training yet. I wanna read on my own. I wanna kind of absorb the material before I enter a conversation with other people. Um, so those you know, resources are available. So I think you know, we were creating ways for people to enter the conversation, like I said, normalize this language, normalize that we need to talk about these things in order to make things better. So I wanna talk about your own journey a little bit. You began your career teaching science. You worked as an interim co-principal <laughs> education director at a K through eight charter school in Springfield. You've been a university professor. And then most recently before joining UMass Chan, you served as a diversity leader in the graduate school at Brown University. So with that background, I wonder what drew you to the work that you're leading today? Yeah, it's, it's a, an, another journey. <laughs> And a, and a windy one, I think back, um, and if someone would have told, you know, my younger self, this is where you'll be at this time, I would have said, absolutely not. Uh, what is so interesting, and I don't think a lot of people know, I remember coming to UMass Medical School years ago as an undergrad, meeting with Dr. Hines, going on a tour of the medical school, um, really? and because my passion was to become a medical doctor. And I remember that day very vividly and thinking like, yes, this is the space I want to be in. And at the time she was promoting the summer program um, for students interested in going into medicine. And being from Massachusetts, I thought, I don't want to spend my summer here. I want to go elsewhere. And so I went to Case Western Reserve Medical School and did a summer program and there found out I did not like being around sick people. Right, like the thought of, yes, having a career <laughs> where, and don't ask me why I didn't think this through prior to this career in medicine, 
Um, but that's where I was like, need to pivot. Like, what else can I do? And that's when I started teaching um, because I needed a job. I needed to kind of figure out next steps with my career. And this is probably still the case, but there's a shortage of secondary science teachers. And so I was hired uh, to work in Worcester Public Schools, taught at Doherty High School, um, was my first job out of college. And it was an interesting dynamic to see. I was very passionate about science, love the, the subject area, but that wasn't something that was made accessible and available to all students. And that's where it really started for me to ask those questions. Who has access to these spaces? Who is encouraged to go into these areas and who's not? And I saw it within my own department. Um, I saw it, you know, just across K-12. And that's where my, you know, passion started really to develop around asking these, these critical questions around um, inclusion and diversity, particularly in STEM. Interesting. That's so great. I had no idea you taught at Doherty. So yeah. <laughs> are there certain, you know, guiding principles that you apply to your own career or are there insights that you can share that might be, extra, you know, others can extrapolate? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it really does come down to these unspoken messages that we send all the time. And I, I think it really creates who people become. Um, and I, I just would love to continuously explore if you had the possibility, if you had access to certain spaces and opportunities, what would that look like? Who would you be? what would you try? You know, and I, th I think that is so important. What would you try if you had those opportunities? And so I, I love to be in positions where I can have the power to allow folks to try. Try without that fear of failure or, or failing forward, right? Like this doesn't work for me, but it's not um, going to change who I am in terms of my character, or I don't have to feel like I represent the entire population if this is something that doesn't work out. And I think unfortunately for so many marginalized communities, that's the burden that we carry. You know, if I am not excellent at this, if I am not the best at this, I shouldn't go for it. I shouldn't try it. Um, and so I, I love to talk to young people about that. It's like, try everything. Something's going to stick, something's going to be authentic. But I think when we really do put all of these barriers and stereotypes and, and biases on individuals, you're at this you know, constant level of um, angst about like, I, I have to perfect it. And it's an added layer of stress. Right, right. Marlena, this has been so much fun to get to talk to you and get to know you a little bit better. Thank you so much for making time. Thank you. And thanks to you and your colleagues in the Diversity and Inclusion Office for all the work you do. For those of you listening, if you're looking to get more information about some of these initiatives we've discussed today, you can go to the Diversity and Inclusion Office's website. It's umassmed.edu slash DIO. And if you'd like to suggest a topic or guest for a future episode of the Voices of UMass Chan, we'd love to hear your ideas. Email us at umasschancommunications at umassmed.edu. We also hope you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media at UMass Chan. I'm Jennifer Berryman. Thank you again for listening.
Follow UMass Chan Medical School on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Our handle is UMass Chan. On YouTube, find us at UMass Chan Medical School.